Well, when I was five years old, <clears throat> we had two stores in our town. One was called the Mutual Market, and the other was called Savings Corner. And one day, my mom decided to go to the Savings Corner to pick up some things. I don't remember what they were, but she took me with her. I don't even remember if I... I knew if I asked my mom, she wasn't going to give it to me. So I stuck one in my pocket, sly as could be, and I made it out to the car. But like most dumb thieves, I couldn't restrain myself. And so um, when we got in the car, I said, can I sit in the back? You know, I rode in the front on the way there. And it, was, it was back in the days when there were just bench seats, you know. So I had plenty of cover, and I was five. I fit in a small area. And so my mom backs out, and she starts driving, and I slide down in a little pocket where you put your feet, right? And I break open my prize, and I start snacking away on this. And I think my mom either heard me or was just wondering what I was doing because I disappeared. She couldn't see me. And so she said, Dan, what are you doing? Well, I've got a wad, and you know what this stuff's like, right? It's worse than peanut butter. It's stuck all over my mouth. My mouth's all gummed up, and I'm like, you know? And she immediately pulls over the car. <laughs> and there I am with chocolate. You know, when you're five, you don't eat any candy well. You wear a lot of it. So there I am, five-year-old, with a mouthful of this Tootsie Roll, and it all over my face. <coughs> and my mom, of course, does what good moms should do and rebukes me really well. I don't remember if she spanked me at that, that moment or not. Um, but I remembered feeling the, the weight of being caught. Have you ever been doing something? that you knew was absolutely wrong and someone catches you? You know that sinking feeling in your heart where you're like, this is not good. This is really, really bad. It was bad enough I stole, but it was far worse to get caught. And I, you know, my mom did the right thing. We immediately turned the car around went back to the store. And my mom, you know, was kind enough to clean me up, you know, so I didn't go in with all the evidence all over me. But she went to the store owner, because that was back in the days where there weren't chains. The owner actually worked all day. She went to the owner, and, and um, I had to apologize to the owner, which was, you know, horrific for me at five years old. You know, the man was huge. And, um, you know, I didn't know what he was going to do. You know, I mean, is he going to take me out back and beat me or what? You know, and so I apologize, you know, weep, do the whole thing. And my mom makes restitution for me. She pays for the candy. And the relationship between me and the owner was restored. He didn't say I couldn't come back anymore. And remember many times going into Savings Corner with much more pure motive. Um, <coughs> and, and that was my experience. And many of us have that kind of experience when it comes to Christ. All of us are sinners, right? There's not one person in this room that is unscathed by this wretched world and by our own wicked motives of the heart. And what we're going to see this morning is... 
how God takes care of that. And I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 3. And it's amazing, but Jesus told his disciples that all scripture, every bit of it points to him. He is the center of it all. He is the climax of it all. He is everything that the scripture is trying to teach us. And in Zechariah chapter 3, it is plainly pointed that this is the case. <coughs> and Zechariah um, shows us, it's one of these amazing um, stories because we get a glimpse into heaven. Zechariah takes us into the very throne room of God where a session of court is going on. There is a charge being brought before Almighty God. And we don't get too many of these pictures where we get to go into the throne room of God. Remember, we have Job. We have Revelation. But we don't have many glimpses. So this is an incredible back behind the scenes of what happens in the very throne room of God with you, with me, with God's people. Listen to what goes on, <coughs> starting in verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen re Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to, Josh then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken your sin, and I have put a rich, rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a turban on a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated, seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See, a stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on the stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. This is an amazing picture of what happens in the throne room of God. What's going on is we are now in the fourth vision of, of Zechariah. The people of Israel have been brought back from their exile to Babylon, right? They were exiled into Babylon because of their disobedience. And now they are brought back. And they've been commissioned to rebuild God's temple. To have the very presence of God reestablished among them. And because of persecution and because of apathy, for the last 15 years, the temple sits in ruins here. And God's people have basically went about their lives building their houses and leaving God's temple unbuilt. 
And apparently, when God's presence isn't established, isn't the center of our lives, what usually happens to us? What happens when you're not regularly a part of the, the church and when you don't regularly commune with God? Well, what quickly happens is we fall into sin, every one of us. It doesn't take long. And what is going on is, here you come into the throne room of God, and I want you to do me a huge favor. Picture this. This is meant to instill in us just an incredible reality. So put your name in the place of Joshua. There you are, standing before Almighty God. And you are dressed in filth. And who's your best friend at your right hand? Satan. And what does he want to do? Yeah, this is the best you got. God, this is your best. Remember, who is Joshua? He is the high priest. He is the one that represents the people. And he is clothed in filth. In fact, the word used for filth is to, is to create in us just a repugnant feeling. It is, sorry for the grotesqueness of this, but it is like taking human excrement and scrubbing it all over you. That's the word. So you'd be going, ah. That is how God feels when he looks at Joshua at this moment. Just he's filthy with sin. And that's how we all stand before God, apart from Christ. Filthy in our sin. And Satan is there saying, hey, this is, this is your man. And what is amazing is like I was when my mom pulled me out of the car, guilty with chocolate all over my face, face and not a word to say. She knew I had no money. I had no defense. I couldn't say, well, I bought it, Mom. I'm five. <laughs> she knows what I have, right? I had nothing to say to my mom, but I'm sorry. Joshua is standing there and knows what he's wearing. So Joshua says not a thing. He has nothing. When we come before God in our sin, there's nothing we can say. He sees it all. You know, we can dress up and come to church but he sees your motive. He sees your attitude. He sees your action when no one else does. He knows every intent of your heart. The stuff that we can hide from one another, we can't hide from God, and that's Joshua standing there. And he is representative of the people. If he's the Holy One, imagine what the people are at, where their lives are at. And what does God do? God does this amazing thing. He says, I rebuke you, Satan. I have chosen Jerusalem. I have plucked him from the fire. You have no say here because I have redeemed him. I have chosen him. I love him. Period. Isn't that phenomenal? You stand there guilty. I stand there guilty as charged. And God says, I don't care. You be quiet. And leave my child alone. An amazing picture of what happens in heaven when Christ shows up as our sacrifice. How do I say Christ shows up? Look at the end of verse 8. This is key to this whole chapter. Look, he says, I am going to bring what? My servant, the branch. Then he goes on to say, see, I have set a stone before you, Joshua. There's three different references to Christ. The first is servant. 
the people of God knew very well what the servant was going to come and do, right? Isaiah 53 was abundantly clear that God was going to send his Messiah, the servant, who was going to die for the sins. He was going to take away iniquity. He was going to redeem the people of God. He was going to do what the people could not do for themselves, what no other sacrifice could could, could complete. He was going to fix in himself. So what God does is he looks to the servant. He says, 500 years from now, my servant, the branch is coming. My servant, the one who is going to die on this people's behalf is coming. So Satan, you keep your mouth shut. Joshua is mine. In fact, just by the way, Satan, when you go to bring someone else who's one of my people, when you go to bring someone else who's part of Jerusalem, you know that I bought them. So you don't need to come back. Quit accusing my children. My servant paid for them. Jesus Christ paid for us. It's done. You don't have to argue for yourself. One of the things we do as Christians so often is we argue for ourselves. Satan comes and accuses us, and what do we do? Well, yeah, you either do a couple, one of two things. You go, well, yeah, I know I, know I did this wrong, but, you know, I, I walked the old lady across the street yesterday, and I, I, I shared my tools with my neighbor. Does that do any good? No, because you should have done those things anyway. It's the only answer you have. And the answer you need to have in the forefront of your mind is, my God paid for me. All I got to do is confess my sin. And I am re-cleansed. And I'm washed free. What does God do? He says, Joshua, I have removed your sin. I have removed your sin. But God doesn't just forgive us. What else does God do on our behalf in Christ? What does he do? He clothes us. He takes off the filthy garments that keep, keep Joshua in bondage to shame and guilt. And he takes them off. He removes them. And he reclothes him. When Jesus died for us, he not only paid for our sacrifice, but he lived a righteous life. And it's abundantly clear from the New Testament that he gives that to us. Your righteousness is not in your deeds. Your righteousness is in the deeds of Jesus. And God strips off all your filth. And he comes along and he gives you Jesus. And he reclothes you. And he reclothes you in the finest garments he's got. There are no finer garments than the garments that Christ provided at the cross. You don't have to be shackled to your sin and guilt anymore. You're no longer that person. You're no longer the enemy of God. You have been cleansed. You have been forgiven. And you have been reclothed so that you can be in the presence of God by the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Amazing picture that God does on our behalf. Joshua says not a word. He's guilty as could be. And God says, Satan, you can't talk anymore. Just shut up. You have no business here. He's my child. Yes, I understand. I plucked him for the fire. I know how filthy he is. But he's my child. She's my child. I reclothe them. You have no business. Jesus paid it all. And he clothes you. The first thing we come to know 
is that is that we are clothed with Christ. As a child of God, you are clothed with Christ. You are adopted by the king and you are given righteousness. Your old filth is taken away. That's an amazing thing. Because so many people act as mannequins today and live as mannequins and you are free to walk with your God unhindered in his presence because of Jesus. But the the passage doesn't stop there. What else happens for Joshua? Look at verse 6. The angel of the Lord gives this charge. So not only are you clothed with Christ, you are commissioned for Christ. Look at what he does. He goes on and clearly states, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and keep charge of my courts. You are reestablished as my priest, is what he says, to govern my charge of my people and the holy requirements of my body. And I will give you a place among those standing here. Did you hear that? I will give you a place among those standing here. Where is Joshua right now? In the throne room of God Almighty. I give you place here. Joshua, you don't have to be shackled by your sin and your guilt and your shame anymore. In fact, I'm commissioning you to serve me now with the power that you did not have before. By the power of Christ, serve me now. I understand that you couldn't do it before, but now, by the Spirit of God, I am commissioning you, Christian, serve me now. You were not bought by such a precious price to sit on the couch. You were not bought by such a precious price to sit in these chairs. You were bought by such a precious price to serve God Almighty, to advance His kingdom in the world, to encourage one another in Christ, to move forward the light of the kingdom of God. You are not here. When God justifies you, which is God's work, right? What happens to Joshua, he says not a word. He does nothing. He is passive in the first part. Absolutely passive. Your justification, you are declared righteous by God because of Christ and nothing else. You bring nothing to the table. But because you are justified, justification never comes alone. It comes with power. It comes with ability. It comes with a commission. You are commissioned for Christ to live for him, not to live in your sin and filth anymore. You have been clothed for a new job. You have been set free so that you can advance his kingdom. You are commissioned by God. Every one of you is placed by his sovereignty in your job. You are placed by his sovereignty in your home. The children you have, the wife that you have, the husband that you have, the schoolmates that you go to school with, the the teachers that you interact with with your kids, the parents that you get to meet through your kids, you are commissioned by God to serve Him and to shine for Him, to let your new clothing be evident so that you may speak the gospel into their lives. You are no longer standing guilty, you are now commissioned 
You've been clothed by Christ and commissioned for him. That's not the end, though. Look what else happens. Look in verse 8. He says, listen, O high priest and your associates seated before you. You are men symbolic of things to come. That is futuristic. That's why I'm saying this all points to Jesus. The priesthood and the priest. The, the high priest and the priest were pointers to Jesus. You, brothers and sisters, are pointers to Jesus. You are commissioned as a pointer. You are symbol symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. The branch is a reference to his kingship. Remember the branch in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel is the branch that comes up out of David is the son that's coming to be king over the world. You've been commissioned by the branch. You are commissioned by King Jesus. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on one stone and I engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. There is symbol symbolic language being used. The branch is clearly Christ. The servant of God is clearly Christ. And I believe the rock is clearly pointing to Christ. And it's pointing to the rock that was the stumbling block in the days when Jesus came. It is the cornerstone for a new temple. It is the cornerstone for a new people. It is the cornerstone for the church. God was sending Jesus to be the cornerstone for us. Who's the temple of God today? Clearly laid out in scripture. You. Me. The believers around the world that God has chosen for himself. We are the church, the temple. We are to be the visible presence of God in the world today. And Jesus is the cornerstone. What do the eyes represent? Well, seven is a sign of perfection. It could be that it represents that Jesus is saying, I will see it through to perfection. Or he's saying that I'm watching my people. I will make this happen. But he's the cornerstone that is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is going to build us into a glorious temple that the world sees for him. He's going to make it happen. He's not only clothed us with Christ and commissioned us in Christ, he is building us into a glorious temple where his spirit resides in your heart now. No longer in a building of stone, but in a building created by human flesh that God is crafting. You are the representative of God in the world right now. You are his light. He resides in you. He shines through you. He is redeeming his earth. You were created in his image from the beginning. We soiled that image, but he is recapturing it in Christ. And he is re-showing himself in us. We were always to declare that image. But we failed, and now he's recapturing the glory of himself in you. He's recreating his temple in you. God will build his church. And what's the, the ending of that? What happens? It's a glorious picture. 
What do the people find themselves doing when they come to terms and they come to forgiveness in Christ and they're clothed with his righteousness and they're commissioned for him and they become they become the, the temple? What happens? A glorious unity that we all long for. What happens? We find them sitting under the vine and the fig tree. In other words, God reestablishes his blessing on his people. And and the and the, the growth of their crops is so great that they're saying, hey, come hang out. Let's bask in the glory of our God. Let us encourage one another in Christ. Look what God has done. Look who he's making us to be. Look how he's blessed us. And it's not over yet. This day that God is talking about was the day Christ died on the cross. That's the forward looking. But that day points to a glorious day that's still coming. We're we're being built up now and we can have that unity now when we realize that we've been clothed with Christ and forgiven in Christ. When we take seriously the commission of Christ to build his church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. When we take seriously that God is building his temple in us, then we will bask in his presence and we will have a unity that's unmatched in this world. We will quickly forgive one another in Christ because we realize all that we've been forgiven. We will quickly ask for forgiveness and dump our pride because we have no pride when we realize that we stand before God in his courtroom and we're absolutely guilty. And he says, I rebuke you, Satan. There's a gratitude that comes out of that that allows me to dump my pride and forgive. And the world sees that and they go, what's going on? Why do these people love each other like they do? Because they fail each other, but they don't give up on each other. What's going on? Christ is going on. That's what's going on. He is building his temple in you. And there is a glorious unity that we are to have in Christ, where we invite each other and we are hospitable to one another in such a way that the world has to take notice. And we are pointing each other to love and good deeds in Christ because of all he's done. And we remind each other of our commission when Satan comes along and tries to get us down. We remind each other that we have been clothed with his righteousness. We remind each other that he died for my sins. I can't make up for them. All I can do is confess them and know that 1 John 1, 9 is true, that he will cleanse me once again. That I have been given a new life. That's what we do when we bask under the fig tree and the vine. We show the world that we're Christians. We should remind each other what a glorious, what a glorious day it is that Christ died. And we get to bask in his presence now. But this isn't the end. This is a pointer still to the end. There is a day coming when God will bring full justice to the earth. When God in his greatness will be our light when God will take away all our sin when every evil evil motive from our own heart still today will be removed and you will never question I wonder what my brother or sister thinks of me don't you hate that that is so debilitating when you're wondering what they think that will all be removed your grudges will all be removed they ought to be dropped now but they will you won't ever have one you will have no need of one That is a glorious day. But we get to live in that day now. We don't have to wait completely. Christ is here with us now. He will be with us more fully then. 
but he is here with us now. Amen? This morning, we're going to celebrate the, the bread and the cup. And we're going to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, don't let the accusation of your own heart or the accusation of Satan debilitate you. Don't let him keep you in bondage to your sin and guilt. Confess it to God. Be done with it in Christ and serve him. You have been clothed with Christ. You're commissioned for him. And you are to be a community. And the, the bread and the cup points to that community like nothing else. That there was one loaf of bread broken for us. One body of Christ broken for us. One blood shed for us in the cup. We are one body. Amen? So as you come, just get your hearts right. If you're not a believer, I there's going to be a couple men up here who are pastors. And I just ask you, you know, um, talk to them. Talk to them. Come to Christ. Don't wait. God is so good. Don't wait. And you're free to talk to them and they will pray with you. And you can you can become part of his body now. If if you're a believer, just celebrate what all has been done for you in Christ. He is the center. He is the pinnacle. He is all that we are waiting for. He's done it all on our behalf. You are clothed afresh. If there's sin that is hindering you and has grieved the Holy Spirit of God in you, confess it. Make right now and come and celebrate the body of Christ. Celebrate the cup. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Father, I thank you that you've given us a glimpse into heaven, into your courtroom, where we stand guilty as charged, and that you rebuke our arch enemy, that you clothe us, that you cleanse us and forgive us, that you commission us, and that you make us your community in Christ. It is you who do everything for us. But Father, when you justify us, you call us to be faithful. May we live up to that commission by the power of your Spirit and live before the world, advancing your kingdom, loving each other faithfully so that the world will see that we're your disciples. Help us, Father, we beg you now. Come and meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen.